Welcome to Good Revenue, where we discuss monetization, go-to-market, and revenue growth. I'm your host, Nita Bidway. We're here to discuss what we can do to influence more effectively, improve profitability, and sustainably grow revenue while delivering more value to customers over time. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about segmentation and why it's such a powerful tool for growing your business. I think it's also a little bit of an underappreciated and maybe a misunderstood concept. So we're going to go through what segmentation is, why it's so powerful, and how you can use this to your advantage in your business. Segmentation helps you split up a market to make it easier to build great products and services. It also helps you communicate and it helps you acquire and retain customers. It's giving you a bigger perspective on your opportunity. Segments are common characteristics of real companies or real consumers. Once you know your segments, the whole point is to treat each one differently. And I think that's important and something that we don't discuss often enough. It's also one of the reasons why segments are not personas. They are not an ICP. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Once you've got segments, the entire point of this process is to give more value to a specific segment or segments versus the potential total addressable market. That's how you deliver more value and you capture more value. But the thing is, this does not apply to everyone in an addressable market. And that is because of the Pareto principle. There is a small subset of people, companies, buyers, whoever you're trying to serve, who are going to care more about whatever it is you do versus the average bear. And it's important to understand those distinctions so that you can focus. If you don't focus, you don't see patterns, and you just don't deliver enough value to capitalize on whatever it is that you've built or you want to deliver. Another thing that I think sometimes gets confused for a real segmentation are distinctions like industry verticals or market cap, size of company, number of employees. All of these are interesting criteria, but in and of themselves are not segments. One of my favorite ways to actually segment a market is based on need, what customers value, willingness to pay. That is always a top choice. And when you think about segmentation from that perspective, instead of industry verticals, it becomes immediately obvious how you can recognize more patterns in customers than if you just picked a vertical or if you just said companies over $100 million or any other criteria. With that context, there are five types of segmentation. Firmographic, that might be market cap or number of employees. Demographics, which is generally more common in consumer, but you might still have some demographic attributes in a B2B segmentation. Geographic, behavioral, and psychographic. I think psychographic is one of the most interesting. That includes things like intrinsic motivators, values, or cultural affinity if you're looking at consumer segments. And again, the most important insights that you can get in a segmentation are around needs, attitudes, and willingness to pay. 
It's also helpful to keep in mind that segments might change. They can be situational or behavioral. If I am in the market for an airline ticket and I am flying for work or on a tight schedule, personal or business, I'm in a different segment than as a leisure traveler planning a trip six months from now. When the topic of segmentation comes up, people often ask about personas and the ICP, which is the ideal customer profile. Segments are not personas, and segments are definitely not an ICP. Here's why. Personas are generalized attributes of fictional people. At their best, they bring details from a segmentation or a series of qualitative interviews that might be part of a structured process. I often see them conducted by research teams or UX or a design team. In that context, they're serving a slightly different purpose than what we're looking for in a segmentation. And this is because the qualitative insights that you're getting from an interview, they are to help you understand the why of something. So it's really helpful information. I'm not discounting it. But at the same time, it doesn't quantify the weights of attributes, criteria, desires, needs, willingness to pay, etc. And that is what you get from a real market segmentation, which involves market research. A close cousin to this is the set of personas that you write after you finish your segmentation, but you do need those segments first. And what I mean by that is once you know this is the one segment or the two segments that we're going after and you've done all the deep analysis, you can build a persona to kind of bring that segment to life. However, this is the best case of personas. What I generally see are really basic stereotypes of jobs or professions. So often it is a persona of a sales professional or an IT professional or a marketer or something like that. These are basic insights and they offer limited to no value. And that's because they don't do anything to help you understand something that isn't obvious by just knowing what the job function is. And they also don't give you any information as to how you should treat buyers, influencers, or decision makers differently, even within a company. They tend to have stories behind them that can also be kind of harmful and biased. They can be gendered. They can have insights like, Eric is our IT guy and he loves video games. Like This is pretty obviously a stereotype. Maybe it is true that a lot of IT professionals like video games, but so do half of adults. So it's not particularly insightful. For a persona to have value, I think they need to tell you something beyond obvious stereotypes, and they need to tell you how you should treat customers differently from each other. And that's a big difference from a segment. ICP, on the other hand, this is also a challenge. These are usually profiles created from CRM data, some statistical analysis, and sometimes analytics tools. Occasionally, I've seen ICPs that are also built off of interviews with the sales team. And while it's great to get some of those internal insights from professionals who interact often with customers, this is not an adequate substitute for actually talking to your customers and learning from them at scale. 
I find that ICPs tend to be overly reliant on industry verticals. They're heavy on firmographics, things like revenue by company, and uh, other insights that are pretty obvious if you were to even Google the name of a company. If your ICP is tied to CRM data, one additional insight you might get in an ICP is something like a deal close rate, which is often broken out by industry as well. This might be helpful in general, but again, it just does not have as much power as a real segmentation. And that's because ICPs were created to make it easier to use marketing automation and analytics. They have a different purpose. If you're trying to target display ads or to run something else associated with automated campaigns, I can understand why this functionality was developed, but it is just not as strategic as the data and the insights that you'll get out of a real segmentation. It's just not everything that is actually available to you. It's also helpful to keep in mind that since ICPs are based on CRM data, your CRM is not the market. Even if you input every company that ZoomInfo can offer, this is not the same as talking to customers. And it's also important to keep in mind that analytics tools in general can only give you trackable portions of the buyer journey. We've talked about this in a separate episode, but the buyer journey is vastly independent and most of it cannot be accurately tracked. We're really able to just get the last mile in general, or if we have a first last touch attribution, there are some other inflection points where we can sometimes capture some insights, but there is a lot of the buyer journey that is just not available to analytics tools. I don't think that there is a credible reason to rely on an ICP and just analytics tools to figure out how to target customers and what your segmentation should be. Real segments are a mix of insights from existing customers, again, acquired through market research, and prospects, because the whole point of your business is likely that you want to grow. It's probably your top challenge, or you want to retain more customers. Typically, growth is a huge priority for most businesses. And that's why you want a mix of prospects, potential people or companies that you can sell to in addition to your existing customers. Another major deficit of ICP, in my view, is that it doesn't include willingness to pay, which is one of the most important things that you want to understand from your potential customer base. And close cousins, meaning what they've, what your customers value, what they need, any other psychographics, like problems that they have, things that they're thinking about, all of those insights are super, super helpful. And they're not in your CRM. These are insights that your customers hold. You're missing the opportunity to segment on these preferences, which are in fact the biggest unlock to understand what your customers value. And that's what you get from customer insights. So while I think ICP is better than just having fictional personas, you need to validate with customers whether or not the segmentation is actually right if you're working from an ICP, because I would bet that it isn't, particularly if you've been heavily reliant on an industry vertical. That is just not enough to be a strong segment. And if you think about it, even in big sectors like let's say, agencies or technology, banking, insurance, these are all huge markets. 
there are significant swings in absolutely every firmographic detail, from market cap to number of employees. And while it's helpful to obtain reference customers in a vertical as you're trying to grow, you can't assume that you should target everyone in banking just because you have sold to a few banks. It misses the patterns that you would get if you could go deeper and understand why some specific banks have chosen to work with you and the why behind their choice. That's what you're really trying to get to. If you don't, what happens is you're going to end up wasting time with a CISO or a CFO or some other person in companies that just don't care enough about whatever it is that you are really great at. So overall, why do we need to think in segments? Here's my list. First of all, you have a total addressable market in mind. This is the vision that your shareholders or your investors bought into. But the reality is no one has the resources to chase everything everywhere all at once. There just aren't enough salespeople or marketing dollars. There isn't enough time. There aren't enough resources. So this is why we want to focus on getting more of the customers we already love or who we believe because of data are going to love what we offer. They just haven't heard about us yet or they just haven't considered us yet. That's where we've got to start. Second, markets are crowded. You need to stand out. And I know that this topic comes up a lot. We often say all markets are crowded, but if you're ever in doubt, I highly recommend Googling the latest market map for your category. Just in case you need a refresher about how crowded your market is and how noisy it is from a point of view of your customer, it's helpful to see that there are tens of thousands of categories and products in every single category you can think of. And all of those companies are out there trying to grow their businesses and to get attention for whatever it is that they do. And there are obviously many overlapping buyers who are hearing from everyone. So instead of trying to go wide, you are so much better off narrowing down. This is because of the third reason, which is your customers or prospective customers don't have the same interests, purchasing power, or needs. Segments let you treat customers differently. So you get to focus on a target segment and that illuminates the patterns and that helps you build better products or services. You can communicate more clearly because you know what those buyers actually care about. Your campaigns are tighter, your sales cycles are shorter. There is a huge virtuous cycle available to you once you focus. Fourth, segments are also how you get to educate and influence customers who aren't in market yet. And again, referencing the independent buyer journey, you will make more of that time if you're able to communicate with people before they actually raise their hand, or if you are heavily reliant on intent data, know that the way to change the conversation is not to get your SDRs, your sales team to call people faster. It is to really reflect on what that segmentation looks like and how you can actually educate customers about a problem that they need more help with that you are in a position to help them with. Both of those things need to be true. Instead, if you're just waiting around for the tail end of the journey, you are really limiting your opportunity to win. Fifth, at a minimum, if you are moving up market or if you're trying to really crack into the mainstream market, 
you should assume that you have to do things differently to keep winning. And I reference this book all the time because I really love it and found it to have been very helpful. But I highly recommend reading Crossing the Chasm if you haven't. I think there are some great insights there about why the needs of early adopters are so different from the mainstream market. And if you keep in mind that absent a segmentation, absent focus, if you're trying to target everyone who could potentially ever buy from you, you're never going to win because the vast majority of that market, if you're at earlier stage, that market has very different expectations than what you can offer today. And so you're never going to reach them or be able to serve them. And it's really a waste of time and of your resources. So better, again, to focus. The thing that I find really interesting and wanted to just spend a quick minute on is you can just do a lot more with a segmentation. And again, I don't think this is necessarily widely understood. But from my perspective, a full segmentation is an opportunity to gain better insights into how decision makers, influencers, and prospects that we discuss, people who aren't in your CRM. And that's because the information that you get from customer research and market research is agnostic of you. That's what makes it really helpful and insightful. For example, who are these customers? How do they run their business? Or how do they run their lives if they're consumers? What needs do they have? Why do they do the things they do? These are huge questions and the answers are really powerful. And the answers to these questions are so much more and so different than just a list of firmographics that you would build through data available to you in your CRM or through internal interviews. The learnings that you get from segmentation, they are used to group customers and prospects, and they help you prioritize opportunities for acquisition, for retention, for expansion. And they really do help to direct product and marketing strategy, both short and long-term. So it can be things like the product roadmap, uh, promotions you might want to run, your lineup strategy, programmatic campaigns. There are really, really big activities that can be tied directly to the segmentation that you just wouldn't get if you were reliant on only the persona or only the ICP. Segmentation also teaches you information sources. It gives you media channels. It explains how customers have relative priority for needs, tasks, or other attitudes that you care about. And their behaviors and attitudes, their use of competitive or complementary products and services, their top business challenges and higher order needs, these are all so important. They're just so rich. The final set includes things like willingness to pay and their propensity to, let's say, use technology or work with a full service shop or buy free software, use trial before purchase, all sorts of different things are available to you if you ask the right questions in your segmentation. And at the end, you'll gain a more holistic perspective on the decision makers and influencers in deals that you do. You'll get their challenges. You'll see how they work. This is available to you uniquely from a segmentation. And one last piece, you get to identify the market size for your product. And hopefully this is really exciting and you can see exactly what you want to do. But sometimes when you go out there and you ask these questions, especially around need, value, and willingness to pay, 
you might realize there just isn't enough demand for whatever it is you're trying to sell, or maybe you don't have the right business model. And those insights can be really helpful too, which is why I think it's helpful to do this earlier in the life cycle of a company and then again on a regular basis. If you choose not to segment and instead you're just trying to sell into like the Fortune 500 or SMBs or the enterprise, you miss all the benefits of scale. And in my view, if you're not deprioritizing a segment, somebody in your TAM, then you haven't achieved the goal. I like a visual when I'm doing a segmentation too. I find the two by two to be really helpful. And in that kind of very simple framework, the top right is generally the high priority segment to me. The top left is a permissible segment, meaning we don't have to go off strategy to pursue them. They're still in a good revenue framework. The bottom right is a segment we could attract, but we might need a different configuration or packages. Something would need to change. And so we need to decide if that segment is worth our time and effort, if the reward is sufficient. And then the bottom left in the two by two, that's a no. That is a segment we're going to say is there might be laggards. They have needs we just can't meet. They are way too low on the willingness to pay. There might even be a combination of these attributes. But it's just really helpful to have a simple framework like that, I think. You might also find at the end of this that you could end up with multiple segments if your market is big enough. And I think LinkedIn is a great example of this. They have two very strong segments in human resources professionals and sales professionals. And if you go and look at their lineup, you can see that they have clearly different product and packaging offers and a different go-to-market strategy for these segments. And I think that that is also possible if you've got a big enough market and if you have enough resources to successfully build value for those segments and then to capture that value. One additional opportunity that is available to you with segmentation, if you're in a company or in a situation where you have multiple products or multiple brands, let's say you've gone through an acquisition or you have a product lineup with a lot of different products that you've built over the years, or maybe you're even building a new product and you're deprecating something, or you're going to discontinue a service or an offering you used to have. Any of these could apply. Segmentation can really help you with multi-product or multi-brand prioritization. So you would have a much better sense of how a common buyer would see your offerings, would be able to appreciate and prioritize value across your lineup. Or if you are in a post-acquisition, multi-brand roll-up situation, having a segmentation is going to help you understand how customers see the value of each of those brands, what they think about the offerings, are there gaps, are there duplications, are they willing to pay more for some brand services or products, less for others, And overall, you're kind of trying to get a sense of what a share of wallet would be, particularly if there's a common buyer. And that insight can be really helpful. It'll be very obvious to you once you do a segmentation. The flip side of this is you might end up in a company that has a suite of brands. And what a segmentation can do is help you understand what complementary strategies might be. So product A and product C should go together They are offered by different brands. However, if you add product D, which is offered by 
a fourth brand, that's a killer because people actually have a negative association with that brand. Those kinds of hypothetical situations have been really interesting to see in the data because, again, you're asking these questions that are higher order and you're asking customers about what they need, what they value, and what they're willing to pay in a way that is broad and is very empathetic towards their situation and the trade-offs they make. I think you should start by analyzing your existing customer base. I still do think that those patterns across happy customers are very helpful in any kind of strategic project like this. We've talked about it in monetization and in positioning, and it's definitely true in segmentation. And if you've heard those episodes, you can see the overlap and the similarities and why segmentation matters so much for those initiatives as well. So for that happy customer list, this is, again, the folks who love us, who they refer us business, they don't churn, they were easy to close, they're happy, they just get our value. And I always think it's kind of fun when customers on this list love something that we didn't even intend to be as delightful as it is. And that does actually happen because sometimes, especially if we're building a product or we have a service with a whole bunch of different capabilities, there might be some happy unintended consequences of all of our work. And it's important to identify whether it was something that we actually built or if it's an unintended consequence that is actually driving the most value for our customers. So we want to understand that. We also want to do the set aside. Anyone who is a problematic customer, anyone who's been driving bad revenue needs to be taken out of the mix. And that's because, again, customers are not created equally. We want to avoid factoring in challenging customers into future criteria. This might be a large customer. It might be someone who has taken us off our roadmap or has just been a resource drain. It could just be that they have really uncommon edge cases. And I have seen it happen where sometimes a company will will take on a large or lucrative client thinking that other customers might have a similar use case. And particularly when you sell into a large enterprise, what I think you quickly learn is that large enterprises have one thing in common, and that is that they are very complicated and very slow but complicated and slow in different ways because they often have lots of custom systems or they've joined together lots of different companies over the decades. Like there, there are many complexities involved in those large enterprises. And therefore, sometimes their use cases are actually edge cases. And so there's not as much of a market for that work as we might have anticipated. So we want to set those folks aside. Second step is As a team, we really should brainstorm the attributes that we think our customers care the most about, the least about, any insights that our customer-facing teams have, and hopefully that's everyone in your business, but at a minimum, folks who are talking to customers on a daily basis. All of this should feed into our hypothesis. And we probably have noticed some things that are interesting that will be different from what comes up in step three, which is customer interviews. So we want to ask the need, value, willingness to pay questions here. And we want to, again, get a deeper sense of what our customers care about in this step. Fourth, this is where we actually validate our segments with market research. And we do need a large sample here. Now, some folks feel like that's a reason to not do market research. But I have to tell you, I have not had too much of a challenge yet, even in government sectors, and that's a tricky audience sometimes because it's really hard to get a hold of folks. 
it is typically possible to do a segmentation still. So I think it's really worth the effort. And it's certainly cheaper to go through this process than to just waste a bunch of money on Google ads or programs that are undistinguished because you're selling way too widely. So to me, this is this is worth a little bit of upfront work. Fifth step is sometimes it's helpful to do a final round of qualitative interviews after you've done a segmentation because you might want to ask clarifying questions. And so you're bringing a structured process at the tail end to see if you can tease out any additional insights about the segments. So the sixth step is evaluating your options of segments. And depending on how many cuts of the data you have, and this is why you do need a larger sample set when you're going out to the market research, you will probably end up with one or two top priority segments and maybe another okay segment. If you go back to the two by two I described, you might end up with more depending on how many completes you have and how large the segments are or how the data breaks. But you should definitely end up with a segment that you're clearly going to deprioritize. It should be clear to you based on the data that this isn't a good use of resources right now. Again, this is not set in stone. This is a moment in time. It's a snapshot, a deep snapshot that we're trying to capture of the business opportunity in front of you. That's another reason why the two by two is helpful because it, unlike an ICP or unlike a persona, it tells us who we're going to hold off on for now and why. I have often seen that it is because of low willingness to pay or it's the level of need, the prioritization of the problem on the part of the customer is not high enough to care about our problem. Again, that usually tracks with low willingness to pay because if it's not a real problem for me and I don't care that much about it, I am certainly not going to pay you for your solution. And that's going to be a lot of people in a potential addressable market. It's just the reality of business. So those willingness to pay insights and the psychographics when you get them are just so cool and so helpful in understanding how your customers see the world and how you can better serve them. So I hope that this has been helpful and I hope that you take the time to invest a little bit of time. It doesn't need to be more than a couple months to understand your segments so that you can better handle resource prioritization. You can deliver more value. You can differentiate your product more You can mitigate risk in your business strategy. All of that is possible if you find your segment. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. We're a new podcast, so it really helps listeners find us. If you'd like more information on today's episode, check out the show notes or send us a message. 